0: I think that'd be a good tagline. Midtown Creve Hall, it's going to be a rad time. I think we should change what the website says when you go on there. Um, so, hey, if, if there are any kids that have not been dismissed yet, that was your cue. So uh, feel free to head on back to the back there. Okay, we're going to jump right in. Revelation 22, uh, verses 10 through 21, this is the last time... Aside from next week, uh, that we will be in the book of Revelation for uh, the foreseeable future. Maybe that's your favorite, but maybe that's not. I hope you've enjoyed this uh, read through that we've been doing. So, Caitlin Anselmo, I believe, is there she is, is going to come on up and read for us. Go, Caitlin.
1: This is Revelation chapter 22, verses 10 through 21. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do no evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. The word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Amen. Love it. So kids, how much do you love waiting on your parents Uh, or parents? Do you remember when you were kids adults? Do you remember when you were of the age of anywhere pre-driving where you were just stuck wherever your parents were going? Uh, my mom was uh, a teacher and so i found myself a lot of times waiting on her to finish whatever she was doing at her school we were at the same middle school and so i found myself doing a lot of waiting a lot of playing oregon trail and dino park tycoon anybody dino park tycoon on the imax that had the like clear back they were multicolored and you could see the computer guts inside so fun Uh, My mom was also, you know, she'd get her hair done on occasion, and so I have very distinct memories. I can smell. Can anybody, when I say the word, like, hair salon, can you smell what I'm saying? It's like the the combination of the smell of a perm and a blow dryer. That combination is very distinct. And so I remember sitting there curled up with, like, sticky people magazines and... Uh, my trapper keeper, or whatever book I happen to be reading at the time, just counting down the minutes, staring at the clock on the wall. Waiting is no fun. Nobody enjoys it. Uh, it's not something that any of us would seek out, except if there's something in the waiting that makes it just even a little more palatable. Like sometimes, when we would, uh, when my mom would go get a haircut, before then we would go to McDonald's and get those little, you know, the little caramel sundaes they are in the little plastic cups. Those things, I don't know how they make that ice cream taste so good. Aside from when it's broken, which is the majority of the time. But when you can get those things, they're glorious. Or Miss Wingfield, who was right across uh, the hall from my mom. She was this, this older teacher, had been there forever, and she always had candy in her desk. Any small taste to satisfy me now while I wait helps the waiting to go just a little bit easier. We've been on this journey for the majority of this semester as we've looked at the book of Revelation and really gone pretty micro and zoomed in at these seven themes of what makes up this book and how are we to understand it. Jesus, in a sense, has been pulling back the curtain uh, and letting us see behind the veil of what is actually going on in this world. And so we've seen, we've seen angels, we've seen thrones, we've seen bowls, we've seen trumpets, we've seen fire, we've seen lightning, we've seen plagues and dragons and beasts and all of these crazy images. And the goal of every one of them has been to communicate Something of the force of the spiritual reality that is going on behind the curtain. In the unseen reality that very much affects the chaos of this world and the chaos that you and I live in all the time. And yet, in every one of these cycles of these visions that we've seen, what has been consistent throughout everyone has been this one on a throne like a lamb. This King Jesus, who is sitting on this throne, lightning and thunder and rainbows behind him, sparkling with all kinds of gemstones, with feet of burnished bronze and eyes like fire, sitting on his throne completely at ease, completely in control, completely able to handle All of the chaos of this world, past, present, future, and every bit of the chaos in your life. And as we finish out this series, we find the last words, amen, come Lord Jesus. So what he is asking us to do after peeling back the veil is ultimately summarized in one word, wait. We've just seen all of this craziness, and our response now is, hold on. But everybody knows, waiting is hard. And so there were two different ways that we could look at this. We could look at what are all the ways that, from what we talked about last week, new heavens, new earth, new creation, renewed bodies, face-to-face with Jesus, how does all of that goodness allow us now to just keep going? But... There's another way that we can also look at this is in what ways can we now enjoy the presence of Jesus? In what ways can we now taste and see the reality of who God is now in ways that in a fullness we'll get to experience later, but right now we still can't enjoy? And I think buried in verse 17 is where we find that promise. Because verse 17 says, The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. This is not the come of like, amen, come Lord Jesus. This is like the beckoning of everybody come to Jesus now. Like, if you're thirsty now, you can be filled you can be quenched, you can be satisfied in a way that you don't have to just keep waiting for. There is a way, even though it is a small taste, there is a taste that you can have of the Lord's goodness now. So based on that, we're gonna focus on verse 17 uh, on this living water imagery and particularly on these two points. There are two things that can satisfy us while we wait for Jesus to return. One is refreshment. We can be refreshed now. Let the one who is thirsty come. If you're thirsty this morning, if you're desiring something in your life, if you're longing for something, a, a relationship with God, a taste of his goodness, uh, and assuaging of the guilt or the shame that you feel, you can come to him today. You don't have to wait. And secondly is a responsibility. The spirit and the bride say, come as you've tasted and enjoyed the Lord. So there is also this movement to beckon other people to do the same. Because part of the reason why he's waiting, part of the reason why he hasn't returned yet, is so that many more, like us, could have very similar stories of meeting Jesus now before he returns. So, two points refreshment and responsibility that we find in uh, chapter 22, verse 17. Because you've got to always keep in mind with any of any of the Bible that you read that there is an original hearing audience that is happening here, and the original hearers of uh, this book of Revelation would have been those. This is being penned by John, mentioned last week. This is a guy who, the Apostle John, who spent time with Jesus. He's now exiled on a prison island called Patmos because he wouldn't bow the knee to the Roman gods, and instead. Uh, is now cast away on this island for what seems to be the remainder of his life. It's been somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 to 60 years since Jesus was resurrected and ascended. In that time, you would think that, again, there was so much excitement building around who this Jesus was and what he was going to do, and what we find instead is... the the temple is destroyed, Jerusalem is taken over, God's people are scattered all over the place, and there would have been this common thought of like, Jesus, you left, and like, what happened? Like, everything fell apart. We thought everything was going to be going in a positive direction from here on out, and instead, the bottom just dropped out. What's happening? Christians have now scattered all across Asia Minor, and then Gathered into churches as Paul has gone around over in this interim time and evangelized and planted churches all in these areas. And now, John is writing this letter to these seven churches as a representative of the whole of the church in that area, this burgeoning movement of followers of Jesus who were just getting hammered. They were being persecuted, they were being killed. Uh, They were also struggling with the pressures of worldliness and just falling in line with the culture, just go along to get along. Uh, There was false teaching happening that was distorting the, the worship of God and distorting how you were saved and turning it into this works righteousness kind of way instead of the whole thing that was just imaged by this baptism of Jesus by grace through faith. All of that pressure is what's happening in this time. And all of that pressure is what these words would have fallen on very expectant, very hopeful, but very tired ears. That's not too far from our experience either, is it? Because fear, complacency, worry for ourselves, our family, our city, our country... Uh, many of us, if you've been Christians for a while, there's there can be this just sort of lackadaisical, complacent attitude. Man, I remember when I was like on fire for Jesus, and now I just feel kind of flat. Like, what happened? Uh, or maybe on the other side, you're, you're sort of on this side of it going, I don't really understand what this whole Christian thing is about. I, I'm here just because I, I want to know a little bit more, but I don't get it. That sounds like my house. That sounds like my heart. That sounds like my world. Like, Jesus, you left and everything fell apart. And my life in so many ways, I have all these longings, all these unmet needs, all these things that I wish were true that just aren't. What do I do with that? How do I keep following something that I can't see? That's hard. And again, Jesus speaks directly into that and says there is a taste of me that you can have there is a quenching of that thirst that you can have even now because by the time i get to the end of my week and i imagine by the time you get to the end of yours you're toast you're exhausted you've you've given everything you've got to your profession you've given everything you've got to your friendships you've given everything you've got to your family, and you're just like, on the mat, I'm done. I've never run a marathon, but I imagine it's probably, you have to ask John Lister or some stud like that to know what that's like. I have run a couple mud races, though, and I feel like that may be a little bit more of what it's like. Like, You've army crawled through mud under barbed wire. You've scaled this giant wall with a rope. You've gone over these giant monkey bars with this sort of muddy pool under you. You've swum, swum? Is that past tense for swim? I don't know. Uh, Through an ice bath in this trough. Like, that sounds like a week. That sounds like a normal week of life. And all along, as you're running this mud race, there are these people with these stations of water. And you see them very quickly because you're running by pretty fast. And all they're saying is, water, water, water. And they're sort of throwing the little solo cups of water at you. And you're like getting the mud out of your eyes and trying to get a couple of drinks before you keep going. What Jesus is doing in This moment when he says, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. He is here on the sidelines of your race saying, water, water, water. You can have it now. Throwing it at us as we're sort of just trying to trudge through our weeks and trudge through our life. The image of where this water is coming from, if you back up a little bit further into chapter 22, it is ultimately from a spring that is then flowing into a river. And that river is then feeding this new city, this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, this perfect place filled with nothing but flourishing and joy and happiness forever that we are headed towards. And it is as if Jesus is taking a dip out of that river and is, has this cup of cold water and is breaking into your reality today and saying, water, drink, rest, breathe. I've got you. I'm with you. I care about you. And this is not the first time that the Bible has described a longing inside of us with this metaphor of water. Um, Actually, Janie mentions this verse quite a bit, and I love it. Uh, Isaiah 55, spoken to a very similar people, also in exile, but Because of their own doing, not because of someone else's doing, because of their sin, uh, God's people, Israel, had been exiled into Babylon. They're in this foreign land. They're weary. They don't know where they are. They're literally enslaved. And he says to that people, God says through the prophet Isaiah to those people, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. He's saying everything that you have tried to purchase your way into happiness, it's run out. He goes on to say, why do you spend your money on that which isn't bread and your labor on that which which doesn't satisfy? He's saying the reason that you're weary, the reason, that, the reason that you're hungry, the reason that you're thirsty is because you have been trying to fill yourself with salt water. You have been drinking after so many other things hoping that they would just satisfy even a little bit of this desire that you have inside of you. And I get it. I do it. When life gets hard, it is so much easier to cope with the pain, with stuff that I can taste and touch and see, as opposed to going to something and someone that I cannot. And so we go after a hard week to looking forward to the weekend, to our favorite Netflix show, to a drink at the end of a long day or two, to a purchase or an Amazon click. Anything to quench this thirst. This is, for me, about 9 p.m., diners, drive-ins, and dives on Friday night. Guy Fieri quenches all of my thirst (laughs) for like a couple of minutes. And I can find myself literally by Thursday going, Friday night's coming. I cannot wait. I'm going to see, that man's going to put a burger so big he's going to have to unhinge his jaw. You know, he does like the side turn thing sometimes. Like, oh, that's going, to make, that's going to make all of this fear, all of this anxiety, all of, all of this lethargy, all of this complacency inside, so, I'm going to have somewhere to put it. It's going to make this sadness inside of me, this guilt that I just want to go away, it at least for a minute, might numb it. I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what your diners, drive-ins, and dives fix might be. But every one of us has something that we go to to numb the pain. Everyone has something tangible that helps us to hide from the reality of who we are, from the reality of what we think about ourselves, from the reality of the loud voices that are in our heads condemning us, shouting, you're not enough, you can't handle this, you're the worst, you're the worst parent, you're the worst boss, you're the worst worker, you're the worst friend. And Jesus is saying today, why do you spend so much time and energy on something that ultimately is just going to leave you lacking? Even more. Now, there's a difference. We can enjoy all kinds of good things. But I think the question to ask when you find yourself in a moment of enjoyment with something is to ask, am I enjoying this thing out of a place of fullness or am I enjoying this from a place of lack, hoping it will fill me up? We can do the exact same thing. We can enjoy that glass of wine from a place of fullness and joy or from a place of lack, hoping that it will fill something inside And Janie just mentioned earlier so well this woman at a well who Jesus interacts with and again, talks about water. And to fill out the remainder of that story, uh, yes, she is a a woman of another social class that is at the bottom of the social ladder, the bottom of the racial ladder, the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder. And then as he approaches her, and she's there in the middle of the day, which is a sign that she doesn't want to be around anybody. She has concluded with the voices in her head, yes, it is actually true. Nobody wants to be with me. Nobody wants to be around me. And so I'm going to avoid as much social interaction and as much being known as I can because nobody actually wants to know me anyways. And Jesus says, I do. And he says, I don't, I don't want to just know the superficial you. He says, "I know things about you that you would prefer me not to know. I know the intricacies of how many marriages you've had. I know the grief and the pain that you have gone through. We don't know for what reason she has had these marriages, whether it's by loss by divorce or death, but she has gone through it. She is hurting. She is broken. And she believes that nobody cares. And then Jesus enters the picture and says, everyone who drinks of that water is gonna be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. Because each one of us have plenty of reasons to believe that we're unlovely to God. Each one of us has plenty of reasons, valid reasons why we should say God should have nothing to do with me. Especially when Jesus says here that we have a God who sees completely through us. We have a God who sees everything we've ever done. But much to this woman's surprise, and much to our surprise, Jesus's, our, our brokenness does not drive Jesus away. It drives Jesus towards Like as drawn as we are to things that are beautiful and amazing and glorious, so he sees our need as beautiful and amazing and glorious because that is the place where he can enter in and actually mean something to you. That's the place where the word grace actually can explode in your heart. The place where you failed, the place where you're not enough, the place where you can't get it right. These are the places where Jesus comes in and loves and sees and cares in such a way as to more and more allow you to melt in his arms. Because it drew him in so much that he was willing to pour himself out for you as a drink offering to pour himself out in his life. He literally took on flesh. He took on humanity. God took on humanity and felt all of the longings that you and I feel. Yet he never coped. He only engaged from a place of fullness and never from a place of lack. Why? Because he always had in his mind and in his heart his Father's will. I love doing what my Father says. I love hearing my Father rejoice over me. I love the connection that I have with my Father. And out of that place of fullness, he walked through boredom, anxiety, sadness, discontentment, yet without sin yet without coping, yet without trying to just make it go away, facing and embracing all of that longing and yet only using it as another reason to draw near to the heart of God. And he pours out in his death on the cross, emptying himself by taking all of your guilt, all of your shame, all of your longing, all of the reasons why you should have no relationship with God and nailed those to the cross. And so if you're wondering what God thinks about you, look to the cross. If you're wondering, can I bring my full, whole, broken, messy, sinful, hurting self to God, look at the cross. And as sure as that thing happened, so sure can you bring your whole self to him. Because God is not relating to you on the basis of your works. By faith in Jesus, he is relating to you on the basis of Jesus' works for you. So you can run to him, and you can show all of your mess to him, and he's going to say, come here, I love you. And in that kind of safe space, you can change, and you can grow, and you can play. Okay. Uh, There's a lot more, and I don't have time to say it. So here's what we're going to do uh really quick <laughs> the best part of the woman at the well story is what happens at the very end cuz at the very end she you find this scene of the disciples come back and they're confused at what's happening cuz they don't really get the grace of Jesus yet either and and then they see her sprint away back into town and they're like you left your water oh and then the scene cuts to her in town, and she's telling everybody who will listen, I need you to see and meet this man. I just sat a man who saw and told me everything about myself. Parentheses, he saw everything about me and still loved me. You gotta meet him. Like have you ever had an out-of-town friend? who knows everything about you and when they come into town like that week prior, you're so pumped, you're thinking about what you're going to do for that weekend, you're like, there's all these people that I want them to meet because they're just going to love them, I just know it. As we wait for Jesus to return, there's two things that we do, at least. One, continue to let yourself be loved by him. Place yourself in spaces where you are allowing and opening yourself to be loved by him. Place yourself in small group. Place yourself here on Sunday morning. Place yourself in quiet places with him as you pull away from the busyness of your week to bring your full self to him and allow him to speak words of kindness and love over you. And as you source that, that is going to be the only thing that will create any kind of lasting. We talk about this word evangelism. And what may come to your mind would be like a street corner preacher or a door-to-door knocker or an awkward confrontational conversation with something like a napkin in the middle of you that is going to make sense of all of your deepest questions. Again, those things aren't necessarily wrong, but to the degree that they are done from a place of I've met this Jesus and he has loved me and he has seen me in my worst and he has looked me square in the face and said, come here. I I know you need somebody like that too. Will you, will you meet Jesus with me? That's evangelism where you're going first and just saying, come see this guy who knows everything about me and still loves me. And so the last image that I'll leave you with from verse 16, Jesus calls himself the bright morning star. And this was, again, before the days of watches and digital timepieces, there was stars and sun that you had to keep your time by. And somewhere in the neighborhood of two to three in the morning, which is when if you've ever been awake at two to three in the morning, it is when the night feels like it is never gonna end. Anybody struggle with insomnia in the house? And when you get to that place, it feels like the morning will never come. And there was a star that would appear at some point when the night was at its darkest. And in that moment, it was known as the bright morning star, and that little bitty light would then usher in the dawn. And he's saying, that's me. My first coming, everything you saw me do, that was was just the foretaste. That was the little smidge of light into your world. And what's coming is a giant flood. And I, as true as that was, that I came and lived and died and rose and ascended, that little star is still out there. And we're about to celebrate it in Advent again. And as true as that was, so true is this completely new reality that is about to wash over ours and wash us up in it. Are you thirsty? Are you needy? Do you long? Do you lack? Do you have grief? Do you have guilt? Do you have shame? Do you have fear? Come to Jesus and let him love you. So Lord Jesus, come. Come to us now. It's dark and it's hard and we're tired. Come to us now. Come soon. Usher in this new world. We're, we're, we're tired of waiting, but at the same time, we know that there's many more who need to know Uh, of your love, and so we pray that your gospel would go out. We pray that your gospel would go out in Creve Hall. We pray that this good news would change people's lives, and it would start with us, that you'd raise us from our complacency, uh, from our worldliness, from all the places where we're living in the comfort of the world instead of uh, the scariness of life by faith, and we pray that your kingdom would come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven until that day we will pray and encourage one another as the day draws near uh, thank you for everyone here and how they're doing that for me and how we do that for each other we pray in Christ